What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is not your average Boston sports podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, talking to you guys on this on this Monday, we had plenty um, of exciting football games happen this weekend, uh, so plenty to talk about there. Plenty to talk about with the Bruins and the Celtics. There's a little bit of Patriots, uh, despite the uh, team not playing football games uh, until uh, September, but there's still some Patriots stuff, so we will get to that. Um, I would like to extend a thank you uh, to Nick Peranick for coming on the show last week uh, for Guest Friday. It was a great conversation. Hope you guys uh, liked it. I'm looking forward to keeping this uh, guest Friday thing going. I do have um, a guest lined up for this week. I will let you guys know later in the week on Twitter um, and on Facebook um, so you guys can know who that is and what we'll be talking about. But I will just say I'm very looking forward to it. I think it'll be a, a fun conversation that you guys will uh, enjoy. So that being said, uh, makes sense to get going. So Obviously, we'll stick with the uh, New England sports first, and then we'll kind of get to the other stories. I mean, obviously, we're going to get to uh, football with the uh, games yesterday, where um, <laughs> I just will tell you two of the wildest games I've ever seen. Um, pretty wild weekend in general, but we will talk about that later. We are going to start with the Bruins today, and uh, it makes perfect sense as uh, the last time we were... Uh, you know, with you guys, we were talking about the Bruins, so that's where we're starting this week on Monday the 24th. Bruins are finishing their seven-game homestand with a game against the Anaheim Ducks tonight. The Ducks are a little shorthanded. Troy Terry, Cam Fowler, Josh Manson, I believe, are three players that are um, not available for the Ducks as they are still in COVID protocol. Um, so it's been... a it's been an exciting time to, to, to be a Bruins fan. I think, uh, obviously, the winning ways have continued with the Bruins getting two wins um, over the last uh, couple of days. Bruins getting a big win against Washington and a good win against the Winnipeg Jets. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, this, this team really is starting to figure it out. You know, and I think that that's great to see. It's great to see that the Bruins are a team that maybe just needed some time to figure it out. You know, 26 games, I think, was maybe as long as it took, but the Bruins seem to be finding their rhythm now, you know, which is great. I think it's, you know, timely goal scoring, solid enough defense, goaltending that I think for the most part has been pretty good. Um, you know, I still think that they're are, are, are improvements that have to happen with the goaltending, but I think um, they will improve with time. You know, I think specifically with Tuka Rask, you know, Nick and I talked about it last week that it just seems like, you know, Tuka's going to get, you know, bigger, I think, reps that I think I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's difficult to say this because, you know, I think everyone expected him to come back off the shelf and be like, okay, you know, he's going to be the Vezina Trophy winner. That's what he's going to be right away. You know, and I think that it's taken him some time. Now it's unfortunate that he couldn't 
play any games in the a in the AHL because I think that that would have helped him, you know, kind of get into kind of the swing of things. Um, you've seen some tough games that he's had. Clearly, you know, the loss to Carolina, which I wouldn't I, I wouldn't put all on him, but I think that there were some plays where he maybe needed to save. Um, and then I think you know in the Winnipeg game let in a a pretty leaky goal, but I think after that he was pretty solid. So I think you want to see him turn a corner. You want to see him continue to get starts, continue to get ice time, and, you know, feel comfortable with the ice time that he's getting, you know, the ice time that he needs to kind of get back to the goalie that we expect him to be. So I think, you know, it's good for Tuka to be able to, you know, bounce back and get a win in that Winnipeg game on Saturday um, because I think, you know, anytime you are responsible for, you know, giving up four or five goals in the first period, you know, in a game that you lose seven to one, you know, I think you want to be able to bounce back and have a good game. And I think that that's what happened. Um, you know, Olmark, I think, had a, some questionable goals that got in on Thursday, unfortunately. But I think, you know, you have a pretty good goaltending tandem. And I think if that's really the only area that you're not really sure about, you know, I think this team is in pretty good shape. And look, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before Tuca gets back into the swing of things, and he's then the goalie that we all expect him to be. And I don't think that it's going to be for very long. You know, I think once they get him some games, um, that he'll be fine. You know, and I said this last week, I kind of feel like they could have let him play in AHL, you know, despite those games being postponed. He could have played in games later in the week. You know, I didn't really think there was a reason that they had to bring him back to the NHL without getting AHL experience. But, hey, it's going to be what it's going to be. And I think that it's I think it's worked out fine. You know, he's won two of the three starts he's played and I think has looked somewhat decent in two, of the, in two wins that he's gotten. So, you know, the, the goal scoring is continuing. The goal scoring from, you know, different areas. You got goals from Oscar Steen. And Charlie Coyle on Saturday, obviously Pasternak's uh, game winner in the third period. And then, you know, you got some good play, some good goals from, you know, sources in that Thursday night game. Um, as you you may have noticed, I did mention uh, during Nick and I's uh, conversation that I mentioned that I was going to the game on Thursday. So, you know, that was... Uh, a pretty exciting game. You know, you uh, can't pick a better game to go to, I guess. You know, with the Bruins winning, scoring a goal with 45 seconds left. Um, but I thought the Bruins did an excellent job in that game of just continuing to play. You know, not getting caught up in the fact that the, the Capitals scored some early goals. Or scored a goal early and got ahead. You know, scored some goals that were a little bit, you know, questionable that you want the goalie to have. Um, they were able to play through that. You know, they were able to play through some of the, the physical play of, of the Capitals, and I think they did a pretty good job with that. You know, I know that there was a lot said after, you know, Marchand getting injured on the hit by, by Hathaway. I mean, I, there's really not much to analyze. It was a dirty hit. It was an unnecessary play, and we've seen it from that player before. So there's really not much to say other than that. You know, I think that, there are certain Bruins fans that I think want to make more out of that than, you know, needs to be made out of it. Um, but I think, 
the Bruins played, you know, and they didn't get caught up in that type of stuff. And that's why the Bruins have beaten the Capitals many times over in the last couple of years, 11 out of 15, I believe it is, including playoffs. The Bruins have beaten the Capitals 11 times in the last 15 games. And that used to be a team that you couldn't beat. You know, they had Braden Holtby. He's unbelievable against the Bruins. The Bruins couldn't beat them for the longest time, and the Bruins have figured it out. They've figured out how to play against a physical team. They've been able to get wins, and that's really all that matters. You know, there are certain Bruins fans that feel like they need to, you know, revert back to how they were in 2011 um, and just, you know, punch everyone in the face and just, you know, do that kind of big physical play that, you know, you expected 10 years ago. And I'm, I, I got, it, it feels insane that I have to say this, but the game has changed. The game's different 10 years later. And, you know, you're not going to see a line brawl every time someone gets, you know, hit in the back and there's a dirty play. You're not going to see that, you know, it's just people I think are accustomed to seeing the Bruins being the team that intimidates teams. And it's just like, you've seen what the Capitals have tried to do against the Bruins time and time again. They try to intimidate them and it doesn't work. They've lost 11 out of 15. So I think there's something to be said for the fact that the Bruins know how to play against them. And sure, they're going to fire some cheap shots at you, but it's like, you have to play the game. Because once you stop playing the game and you start getting into these you know, brawls and things, it, you lose focus. You know, we've seen it before with this team when there are games like that that get out of hand. We saw it against Minnesota. That game got out of hand. Trent Frederick was a big reason why they lost that game. The big reason why they lost that game is because they lost focus. And I just feel like, sure, people want to see fights. People want to see, you know, physical play after taking out a superstar player. And I understand that. But at the same time, like, you want to go out to win games. You know, fighting someone like Tom Wilson, fighting someone like Garnet Hathaway doesn't do anything. You know, getting Milan Lucic on this team, that doesn't change anything. They're still going to take cheap shots at guys, you know. And I think that that's just the type of players that those two players in particular are, that they, you know, are just going to keep playing the the the, the way... They're going to keep playing the game the way that they're going to play the game. And there's really nothing you can do. You know, you just have to, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say be careful because that sounds stupid. But at the same time, it's like, you know, having Milan Lucic in your lineup is not going to deter them from throwing dirty hits, you know. And we know Tom Wilson has a reputation. The hit that he had in Anton Bleed, I thought, was perfectly, perfectly clean. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, but... You know, clearly, when you see that play up out of the corner, corner of your eye, as I did when I'm watching the game at the Garden, you know, you see that hit, you see bleed go down. It's hard to give Tom Wilson the benefit of the doubt when you see something like that. You know, obviously, looking at it on a replay, you say, oh, okay, you know, nothing wrong with that hit. He just kind of, you know, made a big open ice, open ice hit, and that's all it was. But when you see it out of the corner of your eye, it's like Tom Wilson makes a hit, a player's down on the ice. It's hard to assume that, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. So um, it's just there were just some things from that game that I think 
people are getting too caught up in the, you know, oh, you need to drop the gloves, stand up for your teammate, you know, that type of stuff. And it's just like, I find it funny that people say that stuff on Twitter about you need to defend your teammate when the guys in that locker room, I'm pretty sure that they have each other's back. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, your conspiracy theories of Bruce Cassidy telling his players not to respond is just insane. Like, I just think it's the guys in that locker room fight for each other. They love each other. They will do anything to defend each other. And it's just like, to I don't know, to make those type of remarks when you have absolutely no facts to support anything, you know. But again, you know, that's what social media is sometimes, is just making things up and getting your irrational feelings out. But, you know, that's all I'm going to say on that. But anyway, a great win for the Bruins. You know, they stayed focused, got the late power play, McAvoy the game-winning goal, and that was huge. You know, Bruins make some big plays in Saturday's game too, getting getting another win. Um, but it's just, it's great to see that the Bruins are now trying, starting to figure things out, you know, and they're now three points out of the division, you know, a division that I think certain people were concerned that they were so far out of it, you know, about a month or so ago or before the pause happened. And look at this, the Bruins have picked up 20 of a possible 24 points. So, um, it's, uh, it's really, it's really positive. Um, another positive Mike Riley probably will, uh, return to the lineup today. I think he returned to practice from the COVID list. So he's been the only kind of glaring absence, but in his absence, um, our hope, our hope has played in a bunch of games and it's looked pretty good. You know, I think it's, um, he's one of those players that I think has improved, with ice time. And I think that's something similar to what the Bruins did when they gave uh, Jakob Zaborl a um, more of a role last season. And he seemed to do really well with the added ice time that he was getting back on nine. And it seems like he's doing the same thing. So, you know, that's been a real positive to watch over the last few games, you know, that he's been able to stay in the lineup and he's been able to play well. You know, he's not played well all the time, but I think trying to see his development is, you know, the point of this, that I think, sure, you're going to see some mistakes that he'll make, but I think giving him the ice time, giving him the opportunity to show what he can do, I think is really, is really worked wonders for, for his game. And, you know, I'm hoping that the Bruins can still add someone at the trade deadline, but I'm hoping that he can continue to get some ice time when it's necessary. You know, you would hope that most of the defense is going to be healthy for the rest of the season, but you never know. You know, it's always a war of attrition um, in the NHL that guys can go down with injuries and guys can guys can catch catch COVID. So I think that that he's been a positive. Um, one of the other positives in the forward group. I mean, obviously, Pasternak has picked it up uh, recently. His three goals in his last two games. Taylor Hall is starting to put some points up there. Eric Hall are doing the same thing. I think, you know, you're seeing really good things from Oscar Steen. You know, there were a lot of people that were upset about him coming out of the lineup on Thursday night. Um, but it just was interesting to me that, you know, they put him back in the lineup. I mean, obviously, I think they put him back in the lineup on Saturday because Anton Bleed couldn't go um, after the, the hit that he took on Thursday night. Um, 
but he's been excellent. You know, there have really been no negatives that I've really noticed from his game. Um, and I think he's gives, given some jump to that to that third line, you know, with Coyle and DeBrusque. I thought they were the best line on the ice last game. You know, really did an excellent job. Um, Coyle and Steen obviously getting a couple goals. Um, and it's just been good to see that the Bruins are getting contributions from other players other than Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. So I think, you know, you can you look for that to continue. Um, obviously, it's not going to continue the rest of the season. You know, I think that undoubtedly they're going to probably hit some dry spells here and there. You know, I don't think it's possible for, for any team to be able to keep scoring goals at a great rate the entire season. You know, you're going to go through some lulls, I think. But you're seeing some good compete level from guys in the third and fourth line, DeBrusque especially. You know, and I know Nick and I talked about it last week that obviously there still is the trade request that's out there. And, you know, most likely Jake probably will be on his way out at some point. But I think it's good to see that he's competing and good to see that, you know, the Bruins are giving him an opportunity to play and try to up his trade value. You know, the Bruins could have easily just, you know, stuck him stuck him on the ninth floor and just sat him there until they traded him. But I think to their credit and to Jake's credit, you know, his trade value has improved. His compete level has improved. I think it has some people you know, saying that, oh, maybe he should rescind the trade request. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think at least it shows other teams that, okay, maybe we might take a chance on a Jake DeBrusque. You know, I think I mentioned some of the players that maybe they should look after in terms of big moves, but I think if you are going to trade Jake DeBrusque for a one-for-one player, someone like Max Domi, I think from Columbus, makes a lot of sense. He's a young player, you know, in a a situation that I think probably he needs a change of scenery. He's also a center too. So I think someone like that could kind of hit two birds with one stone, you know, in a move like that. But I think we're still a ways away from that with the trade deadline being a little bit less, a little bit less than two months away. So you still have a lot of time, but it's been excellent to see the Bruins playing at the the level that they're playing at kind of the level that, you'd expect them to play out. So Bruins sitting at 24, 12, and 2 have won 10 out of 12 since the new year. Um, We're looking for their third straight win, I believe. Yeah, third straight win um, after the loss to Carolina on um, Tuesday. So the Bruins following their final home or final final game of the homestand on Monday, they will travel out west a little bit. They will play three games the rest of the week. They will play at Colorado on Wednesday night. That game is on TNT, not on Nesson. So uh, make sure that you don't accidentally tune it to Nesson. Uh, the Bruins will play Friday night against the Arizona Coyotes in Arizona. And then the Bruins will play Dallas on Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Bruins, actually, I didn't tell you the times. For those games, uh, Wednesday is at 10, Friday is at 9, and then Sunday is at 7. And then the Bruins have um, a game next Tuesday against the expansion Kraken. First matchup with the Kraken in franchise history. And then the Bruins, I think, will have a week break before they take on the Penguins 
and get into their rescheduled games, which we talked about last week. So hopefully the Bruins keep the good times rolling with Anaheim tonight. Um, It doesn't appear like there'll be many changes in the lineup just based on the um, NHL game preview that I am looking at. Obviously, things might change for the Bruins, but what you're looking at tonight, probably going to see the same forward lines as you saw on Saturday. Um, Mike Riley should draw back into the lineup. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how the Bruins go against Anaheim tonight. Anaheim obviously missing some key players. Sonny Milano, Troy Terry, Cam Fowler, Josh Manson. John Gibson is is expected to go tonight for Anaheim in goal, and Tugarask will get the start tonight, likely at the Garden. So that probably does it for talking about the Bruins. We will get into some um, NHL and hockey stuff later, so uh, stay tuned on that. So where we're going next is talking about the consistently inconsistent Boston Celtics. Uh, feels like we've been saying that all year. However... You know, as we've talked about, and we talked about last week, maybe the Celtics are starting to turn a corner a little bit. And obviously they had a couple frustrating losses this week um, to the Hornets and to the Trailblazers. Um, Trailblazers game, just another game where they just couldn't get buckets late in the game. You know, and I think it's, it's frustrating because it continues to happen. And, you know, I think really when you see games like that, the Celtics, when they have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum on the floor, they're always looking for shooters, you know, and I think the Celtics have to, you know, whether that's at the trade deadline, whether that's at whatever point, they have to get some better shooting um, because the problem is when you have both of those guys on the floor in the last few minutes, you know, the game gets tight and the team teams key in on those two guys and you got to be able to dish the ball off and make shots. And that's kind of, you know, been a, been a bit of a failure in some of these games where they have late leads in the fourth quarter and they can't hang on. Um, but I will say, um, after a loss like that, it seems like recently, in the last two years, losses like that have snowballed. Um, and it's made things worse that you have a loss like that. And then guys get discouraged and they don't play well. And Jason Tatum, you know, going into sun, going into the game yesterday, had missed 20, 20 straight three-point shots. And, you know, I think that, that that can get to players, obviously. But, I mean, Jason more than bounced back uh, from that stretch with nine three-pointers, 51 points, a, career, uh, a season high, seven assists, 10 rebounds, and... The Celtics just played great basketball in this game. And I know that obviously the, you know, easy refrain can be, oh, well, why can't they play like this all the time? You know, they're so frustrating that they can play like this, but then lose to get, lose games to Portland. And I think that, you know, that's fair to have that response. But I also think, as I just said, having a big bounce back game like that after a bad loss you know, sometimes is exactly what the team needs. And you've kind of seen that in the last couple of weeks after the Celtics have kind of a meltdown game or a game that they don't play well and lose, they've bounced back with wins. So you look at, 
going back to the Knicks lost when they lost on the buzzer beater to R.J. Barrett. Celtics bounce back with three straight wins, lose in Philadelphia, and then come back the next night and beat one of the best teams in the East, the Chicago Bulls, and beat them 114-112. You know, then the Celtics, obviously, with the losses this week, bounce back with the win against the Wizards, go into tomorrow night's game against the Knicks with a 6-3 and record in their last nine games. So the Celtics can get their seventh win in their past 10 games um, if they're able to beat the Kings on Tuesday night. And I think, you know, as always, you know, it's easy to look ahead and say, oh, you know, they should win this game. But, you know, things really don't come for granted for this team. But I think, you know, you might be starting to see some signs of improvement. And I think, you know, Dennis Schroeder has played really well in his starting role. Um, Marcus Smart obviously returned last game. And, you know, it was very interesting reading in the paper that uh, Marcus Smart gathered members of the team individually before tip tip off and, you know, said a lot of great things that a great leader would say. I can't pull up the quote right now, but I think it was something along the lines of he, you know, loves the guys and appreciates the guys and wants to have a kind of us versus the world mentality, which, you know, is exactly the type of person that Marcus is. And I think as much as there's a lot said about him and, you know, listening to this, you may have a strong opinion about Marcus Smart that, you know, they need to trade him or he's not a good player, things like that. But I will tell you that there's no one on this team that, I think loves his teammates and works harder than Marcus Smart, you know, and you see that from time to time on the floor, you see him diving for loose balls. You see him giving everything he has. Now I know he doesn't always make the best decisions. You know, he's not a perfect player. Um, He has his flaws. Absolutely. But I think, you know, hearing something like that makes you believe that he and the guys on that team believe in them, believe in themselves. And, I know that things have not been easy over the last year, year plus, whatever you want to say. But I think having the confidence to, you know, let the guys know that they're appreciated and let their let them know that their efforts are appreciated. Now, I know, you know, I'm saying a lot of things right now that, you know, the Celtics have kind of been missing, it seems like, when you think about some some things like that and you see how it's, or how it's not reflected, you know, on the court when you watch this team play. Um, But I just think that, you know, coming in after missing six games, Marcus Smart, you know, tells the team that, hey, I appreciate the efforts, and, you know, let's try to go out and have a good game. And the Celtics go out and have perhaps their most impressive win of the season. You know, maybe not in terms of the team that they played, but I think in the way that they played, you know, 118 points. Shooting a very high percentage um, on three-pointers. Um, having a high number of assists, 26 assists on 40 made field goals. Celtics 19 made threes. So I think... You know, there can be positives, and there can be positives about looking at this, you know, starting group that I think recently has not had the, 
there hasn't had many opportunities to play together. And I know that that seems very similar to something that was kind of said last year that, oh, if, when the Celtics are healthy, when they have everyone available, they're a good team. And, you know, haven't really had everyone available for most of this team or most of this year. So I think it's good positive. It's good positive to go out and get a win against the Wizards, who, as much as they are not a great team, you know, they're kind of a similar team to the Celtics. You know, and I think that that's very easy for the Celtics to see a team that's about 500 or worse and go into games thinking that it's going to be a cakewalk. And that's been a problem, obviously, for, for this team for, for a good amount of time. But I think to respond like that and win like that and play to the level that I think we all expect them to play was huge. And I think, you know, hopefully this can be a turning point uh, for Jason Tatum, you know, with the made threes. And, you know, obviously it's been a struggle for him shooting the ball this year. And I think that that's it's unfortunate because it's taken away from, I think, how impressive he has been in some games. And the improvements that you're seeing in his game. Um, and I think, you know, I want to try to take as many positives out of this team as I can, because I know that it's been a challenge and, um, you know, it's probably going to be more the same the rest of the way. You know, I could sit here and tell you that they're going to be great the rest of the season because they probably won't. You know, they're probably going to be something similar to this. You know, I just think, Based on what you've seen, it's hard to get your hopes up in terms of, oh, they've turned the corner. Oh, look out. They're going to, you know, make a run in the Eastern Conference now. I don't think that's what I'm saying. But I think you are seeing some improvements. And obviously with the schedule that they've had, it's improved a little bit. But I think you're seeing a team, you know, playing against a somewhat easier schedule and being able to get some wins. But I think... As it is in most sport, it's, you know, any given night. And it's any given night that you can, you know, have a good game, have a good performance, or have a bad game, have a bad performance. So the Celtics upcoming, obviously they're hosting the Kings tonight. They will have two road games this weekend against Atlanta and New Orleans. Friday night and Saturday night in both of those cities, respectively. And then they will return to the Garden to play the Heat next Monday. So it's a good little stretch for the Celtics, continuing to play some teams that are just a little bit kind of average or a little bit worse. But I think, you know, one of the good things that I've been noticing is, you know, some of the play of the young guys. You know, I think I talked about it last week that, you know, you're seeing Grant Williams and Robert Williams and, you know, Lankford kind of settling into roles. And, you know, Lankford made a couple of big shots on, on Friday night. I thought that he played really well in his minutes. Obviously, they didn't get the win. And, you know, that was, I think, what he said after the game that, you know, it's great that I played well, but none of it matters. We didn't win. And I think, you know, hopefully that's kind of a mentality that the Celtics know that they need to be consistent every night. They need to play with effort and intensity and hustle every night. You know, and I think for the most part, that is improving. You know, obviously, I know they come off a game like that in the fourth quarter where they blow a lead against Portland. But I think for the most part, you're seeing this team 
starting to play with a little bit more effort and hopefully, you know, with most of the team healthy now, you know, maybe they can get into a rhythm. Although, you know, it's challenging to get into a rhythm when you look at the calendar and you see that the trade deadline's in two weeks and I think that there's a possibility that there could be some major movement on this team. Now, maybe not movement in terms of, you know, trading big players that, you know, like Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, but I think, you know, you could see them trading some key players from this season, like Dennis Schroeder. You know, I think that it's just kind of, the thing with the Celtics was, I think they signed Dennis Schroeder to see what he had and if he had a great season and the team was playing well. You know, I don't believe that he would be, I don't believe that he would be looking or they would be looking to trade him. Like, I think if the Celtics were, top four in the Eastern Conference and playing really well, they wouldn't be looking to trade him. But I think considering the spot they're in, it kind of makes sense to explore some trades for him. Um, Al Horford, you may see him get dealt. You know, Josh Richardson maybe, although I really like the way that he's played this season. Um, And his freedom, I think, also could be traded. Um, He just has not brought really anything to the table this season. Um, You know, you would hope that he kind of is that good offensive rebounder and a solid offensive player, but it just is like the the deficiencies defensively, it's just, it's too much. And I think just the fact that outside of Horford and Rob Williams, you know, the Celtics don't really have any really good, solid defensive bigs. You know, Grant Williams, I think, has always been solid as an undersized defender. But I think, you know, when you look at the bench and Ennis Freedom is your main big man coming off the bench, you know, you're going to have some issues defensively. So could he still help a contender? Absolutely. You know, I think a team could use his skill set, but, you know, using him very sparingly. So, you know, I don't really see any major moves being made other than the players that I mentioned, you know, that they may or may not get traded. You know, I don't think that any young players are going to get traded. I mean, I feel like if that happens, that's going to happen in the summer. That's not going to happen now. So, you know, I think obviously we'll keep talking about the deadline as it approaches, but I think the Celtics probably are going to be approaching this deadline as, you know, sellers, so to speak, that I think looking to see what they can get for certain players that they have for future flexibility, which is fine because I think, you know, as much as, again, I want to talk about how how much better they've been playing recently, they still are, you know, not in a great spot, not really in a spot that I think they're competing. So I think I think as much as, you know, maybe some people want them to be buyers and swing big and try to get, you know, Zabonis or something like that, I think you have to be realistic with what the team is right now and what the expectations are going to be the rest of the year. Now, obviously... This isn't to say the Celtics can't turn it around, but I think you kind of have to you kind of have to understand what you kind of have to understand what is realistic for this team right now. So I think we will take a look at the standings in a little bit, um, but I think that probably is going to do it for talking about the Celtics. Uh, we will talk about the Patriots quickly before we move on to. The rest of the NFL and the big games that happened uh, this weekend, as well as some quick previews for 
the AFC and NFC championship games. The Patriots, um, I think, I think signed um, Harvey Longy to a new contract. I believe it was a one year. Um, and then the Patriots obviously had signed some players to future contracts. Uh, Christian Wilkerson, I believe, was among them. Um, and those are players that I think the Patriots are going to keep bringing back um, for next year. You know, Wilkerson was an interesting guy, obviously. He made his presence felt in the Jaguars game with two touchdowns. Um, but I'll be curious to see, you know, what the what they're thinking for him. Um, because I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to come in and, like, be a big-time receiver. Um, but he could be someone to keep your eye on, you know, someone in the mold of Jacoby Myers, you know, that could end up being a big player for this team down the road. I don't think it's going to happen next season. Um, but it is interesting that they, you know, maybe believe in him and want to see him continue to develop as a receiver. Um, the other big Patriot news um, well, not really news if you had known about the Patriots' opponents for next season, but I figure with not much Patriots stuff to talk about right now, you know, it would make sense to, to squeeze that in. So uh, the Patriots' opponents were released for next season. The Patriots will obviously play their uh, three AFC East opponents twice. Uh, Patriots will be playing against the um, AFC and NFC North. So the Patriots will be hosting the, or yeah, let's just go through the home schedule. So Patriots will be hosting, obviously, Buffalo, Miami, and the Jets, um, two AFC North teams, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals, um, the Bears and the Lions from the NFC North, and then they will be playing the Colts as they were the second place finisher in the AFC AFC South. And then for the away schedule, Patriots obviously with Bills, uh, Jets, and the Dolphins. Patriots will be going on the road to play Green Bay and in Minnesota. Patriots will be going on the road to play Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And then they will be playing the Vegas Raiders and the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I think with the Raiders finishing in second in their division and then the Cardinals finishing third, that had clinched their, um, like, opponents, I guess. So, obviously, looking at this, the road schedule is very difficult. Um, you know, looking at Arizona, obviously, they have a really good young roster. I would say similar thing with, with Vegas, but you also have... Minnesota, which is not going to be an easy trip. You have Green Bay. You know, whatever happens with Aaron Rodgers is what's going to happen with him, but that's going to be a tough trip to go. And Pittsburgh is always tough. You know, Cleveland is, is low-key difficult too. So I think um, it's a pretty difficult schedule. Uh, I would say the home schedule is a little bit easier uh, just with only three playoff teams that you're playing there. But, you know, you got the Colts, you got the Dolphins. So it'd be interesting to see, but these are the home or the um, home and away game is obviously 17 games are being played um, now. So the Patriots have nine away games and just eight home games. Patriots had, I believe, had nine home games this past season. So I think that it will, you know, kind of switch off like that. So 
that's probably going to be it for the Patriots. Uh, really, not much going to be, not much going to be going on with this team, you know, unless I think they re-sign some players and might give you some thoughts there. But you know, Patriots, it's probably going to be pretty quiet until uh, free agency kicks up in March. But we will obviously, you know, have plenty of Patriots stuff there as to, you know, who they might sign um, and which players they might re-sign. So I think that will be. Just something to keep your eye on. So I think, obviously, with uh, not much change in the baseball lockout, it doesn't really make sense to talk about the Red Sox. Although, the minute that that changes, we will absolutely be talking Red Sox because, you know, I think, obviously, the timing with the lockout is starting to get a little bit dicey with, you know, spring training, you know, maybe interfered with. But I think the moment that that lockout ends, like, there are going to be crazy free agent signings. So I think, you know, we're going to have baseball stuff for you pretty immediately. Um, so I think as we're moving on from the Patriots, I'm now going to address the insanity of NFL games that took place this weekend, you know, in particular yesterday. Um, so obviously we'll start with games on Saturday, the Bengals and the Titans the Titans, obviously, with the bye. Bengals with the win over the Raiders in the first round. And um, as I know that all these games have been talked about as, wow, what like amazing finish it is. But holy cow, all four of the teams that lost, I think just horrific breakdowns. You know, you think about the Titans in a game in which, you know, Derrick Henry's coming back for the first time and, you know, right out of the gate, Tennessee overthinks itself and throws an interception on one of the first plays of the game. Um, you know, I, Tannehill lost in the game, in this game. I think that it's pretty obvious to say that, you know, throwing interceptions at just horribly, horrible times um, is what cost them. The win, the Bengals get the win, 19-16 to with the winning field goal by Evan McPherson, I think from 50 yards at the end of the game. Um, Cincinnati did a pretty good job of containing Derrick Henry. You know, I think obviously with his first game back, I don't know how much the Titans really were going to, you know, run him, but he didn't really have a great game. You know, 20 carries, 62 yards, 3 yards per carry. So I think that Cincinnati uh, did a pretty good job on the ground, they did give up 66 yards to Deontay Foreman. So, you know, giving up 140 yards on the ground is not good. You know, that's never a good thing. But I think, you know, you look at those numbers, the Titans really should have won this game. Um, Tannehill just making some horribly ill-advised decisions. Um, the game, the interception toward the end of the game, you know, sets up the, the Bengals, Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase and... Uh, Joe Burrow, folks, is for real. Uh, this kid is unbelievable. You know, you saw some unbelievable quarterback play this weekend. But, I mean, you know, it's... You got some great quarterbacks. You got some great young quarterbacks uh, to watch for the next few years. It's uh, really exciting to see what the Bengals are doing with no playoff wins in 31 years. And they win two this year. And you know, have a pretty decent shot to go to the Super Bowl. Obviously, we'll talk about their matchup, but just a great way to start wild card or uh, divisional weekend. 
then you had the 49ers and the Packers. A lot of defensive football and a lot of missed opportunities by the Green Bay Packers. And special teams uh, was the story of this game. It's just, you know, it's... All these games are fantastic, as I said, but I just think that the losing team, it's just like, you know, giving the game away and doing things that are, you know, cardinal sins that lose you playoff games. You know, Packers up 10 to 3. You know, special teams have been a big problem for them all year, um, and it rears its ugly head at the worst time possible. 49ers block the punt, recover it, score a touchdown. Um, then are able to get the ball back, get the, kick the winning field goal um, on the final play. Robbie Gold and the 49ers win 13-10. to 10 And uh, got to say, I don't know what's next for Aaron Rodgers, but uh, this is a pretty, pretty tough way to go out um, if this is going to be it for him as a, you know, in, in a career. You know, if he's going to retire, you know, that's not the best way to go out. And I just think it's... You know, it, it's too bad because I think he's obviously one of the most talented players of all time. But I think for whatever reason, it just it's not going to happen for him. Obviously, he's won a Super Bowl. That's not what I'm talking about. But it just seems like he and his team have been really, really good the last few years. And there's always something that's going wrong. You know, I don't think that he played a great game um, in this game. Obviously, Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones were outstanding. But, you know, Rodgers didn't really do anything particularly spectacular in this game. Um, you know, I think that credit goes to the 49ers defense. I was kind of surprised that Nick Bosa and Fred Werner were, were able to play this game and they made an impact. You know, that defense played really, really well. They deserve a lot of credit, you know, for keeping that game close. And I think as much as we want to say, oh, special teams won them the game, their defense kept them in that game. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit. Um, you know, and then to add insult to injury, Packers have 10 players on the field on that game-winning field call. So uh, just bad to worse special teams play. Um, and that was kind of the story for both of those games on Saturday. Just horrific mistakes by the home team that, you know, allows the, the road team to win. And then we get into the games yesterday, and it was unbelievable. I mean... <laughs> possibly one of the greatest days in NFL playoff history. Two just unbelievable games. You know, one game that absolutely should never have been that close. Um, the LA Rams are so lucky to have won that game last night, or uh, yesterday afternoon, um, given the game away. Again, you know, I think this was probably the only team that you can look at and say, okay, this team actually gave the game away, but they somehow were able to win. Um, you know, four fumbles, you know, that that will kill you. Uh, Cooper Cup fumbled. Uh, Cam Akers fumbled as they're trying to run the clock out. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable that, you know, the Bucks were not able to come away with a win. How many chances that they had to win this game? I mean, they really should have won this game um, or at very least sent it to overtime, but then... You know, I don't know. You leave the best receiver in the NFL in single coverage. I, I mean, I, I don't know what the Bucks are thinking with that, but it kind of exposed their weakness that as much as their secondary has had its moments, 
they're a very weak secondary, you know, and they make a lot of mistakes like that. And uh, I think the Rams were, were lucky to be in that position. Um, but it's just you you can't do that, you know. And I know the Rams did this, you know, left Mike Evans in single coverage, but they did it with Jalen Ramsey, who, you know, you would expect, you know, to make the play. You know, you can't expect that Antoine Woodfield is going to make a play on Cooper Cup. I think it's just just unfortunate, you know, that the game had to end that way and, you know, Brady's season had to end that way and maybe his career is ending that way. Um, there are a lot of quotes that I've seen floating around that I don't know. I don't know if it makes me feel that he may have played his last game. Um, but holy cow, what a crazy game. The Rams nearly giving the game away, but then the Cooper Cup play gives them a chance to kick the winning field goal. Matt Gay at the buzzer. Three consecutive games that go down to the last field goal. Uh, so the Rams win. They will host the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. And then we come to one of the wildest, most insane football games I've ever seen. Um, I, I texted this to some of my friends after the game. It may have been the greatest football game I've ever seen since the Patriots came back from 28-3. to um, Just an unbelievable second half and, you know, overtime back and forth. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I know a lot of people say stuff like that when they watch sports, but that is legitimately something I've never seen before. Just back and forth, back and forth. I, I still cannot wrap my head around Patrick Mahomes getting the Chiefs in field goal position with 13 seconds left. That's just not possible, but it's just like now there is literally no such thing as you know, no time left. 13 seconds. You know, and granted they did have three timeouts. And so I know that it's, you know, easier when you have three timeouts, but still just insanity. Um I just think in that respect um you know, Buffalo gave the game away with the way they were defending on that last drive. And I get it. It's challenging. But to let them get into field goal range with 13 seconds left is just inexcusable. Um, it was crazy because, you know, Buffalo, the way that offense is rolling, they were playing like they did against the Patriots. And it was like, holy cow, how did the Chiefs keep allowing touchdowns to the middle of the field? You know, Gabriel Davis had... He will never have a football game better than that. You know, it just was unbelievable. And obviously it made sense. The Chiefs had lost Tyron Matthew in the first quarter. So they really didn't have anyone to defend the middle of the field. But it's like, you have to put someone there. I mean, the Bills and Josh Allen, they just kept attacking. The Chiefs never really, never really did anything. You know, the only thing they did was allow Patrick Mahomes just enough time to get the field goal range. Um but the Chiefs, you know, make plays. And I think as much as I maybe have said this in my own personal life, maybe I've said it on my podcast, I don't really like the way that the media talks about Patrick Mahomes, that he's, you know, the next GOAT or the next greatest thing or whatever it is. What he did last night, I have never seen before. He like that 13 seconds down the field. That is, I've never seen that before. That was unbelievable. Um, just an incredible football game and goes to overtime. Chiefs get the game-winning touchdown. I mean, there is no better way to end a football game 
than the game-winning touchdown. I just will never back off from that. That was just an unbelievable football game. And, you know, credit to both of these teams for playing so well. But those defenses, I mean, you cannot play worse defense than both of these teams played in the last few minutes. You know, it, it just it, it kind of blows my mind. You know, I think Matt Chatham said this on Twitter where it's like, this is, you know, great weekend for offense, but like the defense just collapsing both in Tampa Bay and in Kansas City. I mean, both the Chiefs and the Bills, you know, if you are the Chiefs, how do you allow Gabriel Davis to score two almost identical touchdowns in the middle of the field? If you're the Bills, how do you allow a team to go almost the length of the field with 13 seconds left? How do you allow that? You know, it's just unbelievable. Um, but some great games yesterday. I think that, that definitely is the, you know, thing to remember. But, I mean, the teams that lost, I mean, you can't get much worse. You can't get – you will not find worse ways to win football game. worst ways – to lose football games than you saw last night. Um, obviously, anytime there's an overtime game in the NFL, you know, people want to complain about the, you know, oh, well, you know, the other team should get a chance to have the ball. I'm sorry, the Buffalo Bills allowing a game-time field goal with 13 seconds left. I mean, I'm sorry, you don't deserve to get another chance if you're allowing your, if you're, you know, and I understand that, yeah, that's defense. That's a different part, but it's just like they changed the overtime rules because getting a touchdown is more difficult than just going down the field and kicking a field goal. That's why they changed the rules. The rules used to be, I think, you know, a lot more challenging for the opposing team, you know, if the team just got the ball and went and kicked. But it's like your defense goes on the field. Your defense has the ability to end the game with a touchdown. I understand that that's more difficult, but I mean, it's just, that's the rules of the game. And it's just, nothing is sadder to me than when teams or people complain about rules like that. And it's just like, that's just the way it is. You know, if you want your team to win, you know, your defense should get a stop. You know, it's very interesting that, you know, you have Chiefs fans that, you know, complained after the Patriots did this in 2018, got the ball first, went unscored, you know, but now no one's saying anything after they did it. So, you know, it's going to, it's just, I don't know. You know, I think that there is some merit to changing the overtime rules, but I think at the same time, you know, getting a touchdown, you know, it like you have an opportunity to make a play on defense. It's not like, you know, and I know that it's shaken out that way in terms of statistics, that I think when they've gone to this format, nine out of the ten teams that have got the ball first have scored and won the game, or have ended up winning the game, but if you look at in the regular season, it's about 50-50. It's actually kind of shocking. I was looking at some um, statistic from, I think, Alex Barth, that it's like 52.8% of the teams that get the ball first win, which is, you know, almost 50-50 in the postseason. Obviously, it's more teams that get the ball first win, but it's just like, I I, I will not stand for people saying that it's not fair because it absolutely is fair. Your defense has a chance to get a stop. 
your defense also has the ability to win the game with a safety or a defensive touchdown. It's just like, I don't know. It's just that's what the rules are. I just like the Chiefs deserve to win that game because they made plays at the end of the game and they made enough plays in overtime. Like, I, I don't know. It's, and I'm not sure really where this comes from, but I think, hey, it was a great game. You know, I think that Buffalo had all the opportunity to win this game in regulation. I mean, they should have. I mean, you score a touchdown with 13 seconds left to go take the lead. I mean, how do you allow someone to get in field goal range with 13 seconds left? I don't know how that's possible. Um, but anyway, just incredible theater, incredible games. Um, I was a little concerned with the way that some of the wild card games went last weekend. Um, that like, uh-oh, are we going to get some, some blowouts? But I mean... It, uh, two days of just unbelievable down-to-the-wire football. Um, unbelievable choke jobs by some of these teams, I will say that. Um, but just exciting, excellent football. So congratulations to all the teams that won. Um, and the games this weekend, uh, I think they're going to be really good. I don't know if I'm going to promise a game that's going to be similar to the games that you saw this weekend, but you're going to see some good games. You know, I think with... The AFC first, Bengals Chiefs, obviously they played to a great game a couple weeks ago, a 34-31 win at the buzzer for the Bengals. Obviously that game was in Cincinnati. This game on Sunday will be in Kansas City. I think the Bengals got an excellent chance. You know, I think Joe Burrow playing the way that he is. Um, obviously the big concern with Cincinnati is their offensive line. Joe Burrow got sacked nine times. I don't know how you sack a quarterback nine times and lose a game. You know, you should ask Ryan Tannehill. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think this is going to be an excellent game. You know, I think that this is going to be a down-to-the-wire. Whatever team makes mistakes on offense is going to lose. Um, Kansas City, I think the defense, I think I trust that defense more than I trust the Cincinnati defense to make a big play. Um, and I just say that because of Cincinnati's offensive line. Um, I just think with the talent that Kansas City has on that front with Chris Jones, Frank Clark, uh, Melvin Ingram now, I just think that that Cincinnati offensive line is going to get overpowered. Is Joe Burrow going to make some plays in this game? Absolutely. Is Jamar Chase going to get a touchdown in this game? Almost absolutely. Um, but I just think at the end of the day, the Chiefs defense is better than the Bengals defense. I think that they come up with enough plays to win. So I like the Chiefs. Um, but as we saw with the games on Saturday and Sunday, uh, you should never take my word for it. I think like, obviously I like the Chiefs to win, but I think the Bengals have just as good of a chance to win, um, than the Chiefs do as we saw three out of four road teams win this past weekend. So Cincinnati can absolutely win this game. Um, as for the NFC, this is going to be a great game. Obviously, a rubber match between the 49ers and the Rams. Both of these teams in the same division um, have played each other twice. Each team has won once. Um, and then, obviously, they played to a... Or actually, no, excuse me. The 49ers won twice uh, in the regular season. So, the Rams have an opportunity to, um, you know, make up for those two losses in you know, the biggest game of their season. Um, 
obviously the Rams playing at home in the NFC Championship have the motivation to win and not have to go anywhere. Um, but I think this is going to be another fantastic game. I really think that both of these teams, they know each other really well. There's not going to be a lot of surprises. It's just going to be go out and try to beat the team by any go out go out and try to beat the opponent by any means necessary um i think you're going to see a great game uh matthew stafford has completely burned the stereotype to the ground that he can't win a big football game um obviously i don't think he was the reason why the rams almost you know gave the game away but i think he played really well um against Tampa Bay. He played really well in the Cardinals game, the wild card game. So no reason to think he can't keep it going, but clearly the 49ers have had success against the Rams this year with two wins. Their defense has played really, really well uh, for the majority of the season. But I think this game is going to come down to quarterback play. I think that both defenses are really good. Both of these defenses probably will get a turnover or two in this game. But I really think it's going to come down to the quarterback play and which quarterback limits mistakes. You know, and I think it's going to have a lot to do with what opposing defensive line, you know, does the best job to get to the quarterback. Um, so that could have a big, could have something to do with it. But I think Stafford is just, I think he's very motivated to continue to prove to people that he can win games in the postseason. Um, so I like the Rams in this game, but this is going to be another very close game. I really expect that in both of these games, either team has an equal chance to win the game. You know, I really do believe that. I think that, you know, you saw some great competitiveness, great football games this past weekend. I think you're going to see more of the same. Now we may not see a back and forth games that goes to overtime. You know, we could, but I think... You're in store for some great football this coming weekend. Um, so I like the Rams and I like the Chiefs. I believe we will get a rematch to that unbelievable game that those two teams played to a couple of years ago, 54 to 51. I think you're going to see a rematch um, in in Los Angeles as the Rams look to be the second team in NFL history to win the game at their home stadium. <laughs> I'm kind of rooting for the Rams, too, because I kind of want to see that. But um, you're going to see some great games. I'm really looking forward to it. So I think that probably does it for the NFL. We'll get you some notes from the um, NBA. A couple of things that came up. Uh, Grayson Allen was suspended a game for a hard foul on Alex Caruso. I believe that he broke his wrist um, on the fall. I actually did not see the play, but knowing Grayson Allen, it probably was not anything. It probably was. <clears throat> I don't want to say a dirty play, but he has been known for plays like that, and I think... You know, there's no place for, for dangerous plays like that. And, you know, it's just, uh, I think that there are just certain players that have reputations, and it's because of stuff like that. Um, Jason Tatum, obviously, with 51 points. 
on Sunday. Clay Thompson was a late scratch for the Warriors the other night due to a sore knee in Tony Era. Damian Lillard has had surgery, uh, has had core surgery, but not in a rush following surgery. So you probably don't see him play in Portland the rest of the year. I think he's probably done in Portland for his career. It'd be interesting to see what happens next in terms of what he does, whether he gets traded. Uh, some games tonight in the NBA, the Knicks and the Cavs will play in Cleveland. That game is at 7. Uh, the Pacers travel to New Orleans to play the Pelicans at 8. Chicago plays Oklahoma City at 8 in Oklahoma. And then at 9 o'clock on NBA TV, you got a good matchup. Utah traveling to Phoenix to play the Suns. We're 36-9. and nine. Utah obviously, obviously 30-17, and 17, so they're a pretty good team too. Um, so we'll move on to the NHL. Trevor Zegers will compete in the NHL Breakaway Challenge on uh, the All-Star Weekend. Obviously, when that gets closer, we'll give you kind of a preview as to some of the events. I know Nick and I talked about it uh, on the podcast that they're doing some type of, uh, like, I can't remember what he said, but it was like, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like a like a strength competition. So going to be curious to see how they measure that. Do they have guys you know, lifting weights, getting in an arm wrestling competition. I'm very curious uh, to see what that looks like. Um, the NHL obviously has rescheduled some games in terms of um, games that have been missed due to COVID. Some games tonight, obviously the Bruins and the Ducks at 7, the Kings and the Rangers at 7 o'clock in New York, the Stars and the Flyers at 7 o'clock in Philadelphia, uh, Keith Yandel getting closer to that Ironman record of games played in a row. He is actually set to pass. Uh, he is set to pass Doug Jarvis's record for his for playing in 964 consecutive games. He will look to pass that tonight by being in the lineup. So a pretty cool moment there for him. Uh, Vegas and the Capitals will play at seven o'clock in Washington. Montreal against Minnesota. The Wild will host the Canadians, and then the Blackhawks travel to. Colorado to play the Avalanche at 9, and then the St. Louis Blues. They're playing some really good hockey, playing Calgary at 9 o'clock. So I think uh, before we go any further, we'll take a look at the standings. I just realized I forgot to look at the NBA standings. We're going to circle back to that. Um, But there was one hockey point that I wanted to make after we talk about the standings. So uh, in the Metro Division, the Rangers leading the division by a point, the Pittsburgh Penguins continue to play uh, at a blistering pace. They were just a point out of first place in the Metro, Carolina in third place, two points back of the Rangers in the Atlantic. Florida and Tampa Bay at 61 points. They are two teams first to 60 points in the NHL. Florida in first place thanks to one fewer game played. Uh, Toronto is in third in the division with 53 points. In the wildcard spots, you have Washington in that first spot and the Bruins in the second one. Bruins are just three points back of Toronto, so that division race is going to get very interesting the rest of the way. Uh, Detroit is eight points back of the Bruins for that second wildcard spot. I don't believe much is going to change for the Eastern Conference um, in terms of teams that are going to make the playoffs the standing. The standings of these teams obviously are going to change because of how volatile, especially the Metropolitan, has been. Um, So you may see some change there. Obviously, you could see 
some change in the Atlantic if Tampa Bay or Florida goes through a cold stretch. Maybe Toronto or the Bruins catches catches up to them. In the Western Conference, Colorado leads the Central, and they also lead the Western Conference with 59 points. St. Louis and Nashville are tied for second. St. Louis in second place with the fewer games played. Both of those teams with 55 points, St. Louis and Nashville. In the Pacific, things are a little closer. Vegas has 50 points there in first place. Los Angeles in second place, Anaheim in third. I kind of can't believe the success of some of these California teams this year. Uh, it's been pretty interesting. Um, I really didn't think any of these three teams were going to have anything to say in the playoffs, but that's how it looks right now. Uh, Minnesota in the first wild card, San Jose in the second. The Western Conference wild card is going to get out of hand. When you look at the games in hand with some of the teams behind the Sharks and just how close they are in points, uh, Calgary is two points out of San. There's two points out of the second wild card as is Dallas. Winnipeg is three back. Edmonton and Vancouver are four back. And then Chicago is seven back. So things could get pretty crazy in the Western Conference uh, the rest of the year. So I think quickly we're going to go back to taking a look at the NBA standings and take a look at where the Celtics are positioned. So the Miami Heat lead the Eastern Conference uh, the half-game lead over the Brooklyn Nets, followed by the Bulls in third, the Bucks in fourth, the Cavaliers in fifth, and the Sixers in sixth place. The Charlotte Hornets are in seventh. Currently, the Celtics are in eighth place. Uh, the Raptors in ninth. Wizards in tenth. So the seven through ten teams obviously in play for that play-in, but you know the Celtics are in a better spot than they were recently. You know, six wins in their last ten. They could make it 7 out of 10 if they win Tuesday night. The Knicks are currently tied with the Wizards for that uh, last play-in spot. The Hawks are a game and a half back of Washington, despite them winning four straight games. Phoenix, 36-9, as we mentioned. They're in first place, Golden State in second, Memphis in third, followed by Utah, Dallas, and Denver in four, five, and six in the play-in Minnesota is 7th, the Lakers are 8th, Clippers are ninth, and Portland is 10th with New Orleans two and a half games back of that last play-in. So before we go to take a look at some college basketball, there is a new number one. Um, it seems necessary uh, to talk about the um, incident that's been all over hockey Twitter in the last couple of days. Um P.K. Subban's brother, Jordan, was the um, was on the receiving end of an alleged racist gesture in an ECHL game. And um, obviously that incident has affected a lot of people, um, especially P.K., uh, Jordan's uh, older brother, obviously in the NHL. We know P.K. pretty well. You know, as a Bruins fan, I know him very well. You know, as him playing for the Canadians, you know, just a tremendous competitor and can be sure that his brother Jordan is just as good of a competitor as PK is. Um, and it's just, it's really unfortunate. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that PK said 
um, on Twitter is that um, it's unfortunate that some of these inc incidents, you know, come to light in the way that they do, but a lot of incidents like this don't get reported and don't get seen in, you know, the, the hockey community, you know, and I think it's, it's something that I think people outside of the hockey world need to start paying attention to and realizing that, you know, this stuff happens and I think we need to be aware of it and the awareness and I think just the realization that there's a problem, you know, that needs to happen, you know, and I think that it's, there's something that I saw on Twitter and I feel bad because I can't remember who tweeted it and I don't want to co-opt it and say that, oh, this is my thing that I thought of. But the thing that I saw was, you know, alluding to the fact that the NHL has a big problem with, with racism. Hockey has a big problem. Uh, not Well, the NHL, I think, does to a point, but I think just hockey in general has a big problem with stuff like this. And I think the way to try to fix this is acknowledging that there is a problem. And a lot of times, you know, the phrase is being said that, you know, there's no room for racism in hockey. But clearly, when you hear about instances like this, clearly racism is allowed to exist. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really just sad and disappointing just for me as a hockey fan, because to me, the whole point of this game is about respect and love for your teammates and being there for your teammate and picking up your teammate. And I think that a lot of, you know, Jordan's teammates stood up for him and, you know, were there for him, but it just is, it's unfortunate that opposing players don't have the same respect. Um, and I think, you know, the biggest thing with, with any problem really is that the, for the, the, the way to go about fixing it, the first step is to acknowledge that there's a problem. And I think that we as hockey fans need to acknowledge that, you know, unfortunately racism does have a place in hockey right now. And I think until we start realizing that and saying it, I think that's like the step that a lot of people need to come to and be like, okay, we have a problem. You know, we have a culture that has gotten way out of control and not just with this, you know, and that's the, that's the scary part about this game is this is not the only issue that this game has. You know, when you saw all this stuff with the, the sexual assault uh, situation with the Blackhawks, you know, clearly hockey has these huge problems that I think are not being talked about. And I think racism in hockey is one of the big things that I think it needs to be talked about more. Um, and it just is. It's unfortunate that things like this are allowed to keep happening without anyone checking that behavior. And I think, you know, again, we have to acknowledge that, unfortunately, racism has been allowed to exist in this game. And I think that that's the first step to realizing that there is a problem is it is a part of the game. And how do we fix it? And I think, you know, it's, you know, it's the first step to fixing a problem is acknowledgement. And I think that acknowledgement is still a step that I think a lot of people are having a hard time with. 
And that's why I think like there's really, I don't want to say that there's no end in sight because I don't want to sound like that, but it kind of seems like that, that there are a lot of people that I've noticed in particular that, you know, didn't like just are in denial about stuff like that. And they get angry when people point out things that are wrong with this game. And it's just like, instead of getting angry at that person, why don't we try to work to improve this game and improve this sport that so many of us love, but so many people play this game and don't feel welcome. And I think that that's just not okay. This is not a game that should just be for certain people. This is not a game that should just be for white people. This is not a game that should just be for the privileged. This is a game that should be for everyone. Hockey should be for everyone. And Sorry, everyone. I, um, I didn't, I did not expect to get that emotional. Um, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, Nick and I had that conversation last week, you know, talking about Willie O'Ree and talking about, you know, all the amazing things that he's done for this game and done for the NHL and done for kids that, you know, don't know much about hockey, aren't introduced to the game. And, you know, we talk about all the great things that he's done and, you know, breaking the color barrier and being a part of so many good things with this game. But it's just, it's like, you clearly see that, you know, you still see incidents like this and it just, it sucks because no one that plays this game, that wants to play this game, that wants to enjoy this game, no one should be, no one should have to face something like that. It's not fair, you know, and it just is, it's, it's hard for me because you know, I want, I want everyone to be, I want everyone to be accepted in, you know, a sport that they enjoy or anything that they enjoy. Um, and I think, you know, me being a part of a, of, of a, of a community, you know, I'm, you know, most of you who know me, you know, that I am disabled and I'm, you know, part of the community, and it just, it just sucks to see that certain communities don't feel like they're welcome in a sport that really should be for everyone, and, you know, is a sport that's about supporting your teammate and supporting the people that play the game with you, and it just is, it's frustrating that, you know, that 
culture of the game is what the game should be about. You know, it it shouldn't be about making other people feel like they don't belong. That is just, that sucks. That really sucks. And it's it's not fair. It's really not fair. No one should have to go through what Jordan Subban went through. No one should go through what any of these black hockey players have gone through or, you know, players of color. You know, it's just... There's, there really is no place for it, but clearly the, the, the racism has been allowed to exist in this sport, and it's not right, and it needs to change. Um, you know, I don't expect that me sitting here is going to, you know, change anything, but it just is, that type of stuff is really difficult, and it's really kind of difficult to put into words how I just feel for people that don't feel welcome in a sport that you should feel welcome and that should be yeah you know that that's all I'm gonna say I don't want to continue to go on but um, that was um, difficult I didn't expect to become that emotional but it is it is very serious it's a very serious problem and I think until we acknowledge that it's a problem and we are aware that it's a problem nothing is going to change um, so I think um, I will talk about some, some college basketball here uh, before we um, do our next <laughs> uh, guest Friday, which I'm actually really excited about. So uh, be on the lookout for that on Twitter and Facebook later in the week. So before we go, talk a little bit about college basketball. New top 25 rankings came in just a couple hours ago, and there is a new number one, the Auburn Tigers, number one for the first time in school history. Um, highest ranking that they had had last week at number two is the highest ranking they had had previously in the school's history. They are number one, Gonzaga dropping to number two, Arizona at three, Baylor four, Kansas five. Some of the teams that dropped this week, LSU dropped from 13 to 19, Iowa State dropped from 15 to 23, and Illinois dropped from 17 to 24. Um, Tennessee and UConn had some big jumps this week, up from 24 and 25, respectively. Um, and then Texas Tech moved into 13th, at, um, or moved into 13th from 18th. Uh, UCLA and Houston moving back into the top 10, and Michigan State moving into the top 10. Uh, some games going on tonight, 5th-ranked Kansas against 13th-ranked Texas Tech, um, and then Arizona State playing at 15th-ranked USC, those games at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, respectively. And then Auburn, fresh off their number one ranking, will play tomorrow night at Missouri. Auburn at 18-1. Clemson will play on the road against Duke on Tuesday night at 7. Auburn, Missouri at 8.30. Michigan State and Illinois will play at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Both of those two teams ranked. And then a big one on Tuesday night at 11. Number three, Arizona. Number seven, UCLA. So you got some big games coming up in the next few days. So I think that is probably going to do it for our um, episode this week. I know it ran over a little bit, um, but I think... There are just there are things that come up that I think 
it's 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 hard for me to not say anything about you know with this with a sport and just you know sports in general and a sport that I feel very passionately about you know it's just it's very hard for me when people don't feel that they belong and they don't feel that they're accepted and can't it's just it's just it's really tough um and this is not an act this is how I feel and I feel very strongly about this and you know I think that again the first step to acknowledging a, the first step to fixing a problem is acknowledging that there's a problem and being aware that there's a problem uh, so I think we have to first take that step before anything's going to change um, as always you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow our Facebook page on Twitter and on Facebook, or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I appreciate people uh, following the podcast on Facebook. I've been noticing that recently. Really appreciate uh, everyone that listens to this. Um, so everyone have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you on Guest Friday. Really excited for that. And then we'll be back with you guys next Monday for a new episode.